Hi, everyone. This is Kyle from The Career Guide. And before we start our podcast today, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and subscribing. And I also wanted to make sure that you knew that we have a free community for graduates, young professionals, or really anyone that's interested in finding, starting, and managing their international career. So go ahead and check the link in the show notes, and you can join us inside the community where there's 130-plus members already striving to achieve their international career. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you inside the community. And now on to our podcast. In some organizations, real limits. And so people tend to get stuck after that first, second, or third step. And then all of a sudden, you see people trapped in a position almost for a decade sometimes as as the organization is looking for them to all of a sudden become a technical expert without really investing you know, the, the time or, or resources into building that expertise. And, and so that's an important thing to watch out for too. So find organizations where you can grow within, but also recognize when it's time to step out and find another one that's willing to take you that next step. Hey everybody, this is the Career Guide Podcast, brought to you by Capacity Building International and your host, Kyle King. If you've dreamed of working abroad and having an international career, this podcast is for you. Every episode is an interview with someone from the international community. We hear their stories, how they got started, and about their life and experiences while working abroad. Each episode will provide you with personal insights, tips, and strategies to help you launch your international career. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our career newsletter so you don't miss out on your future and opportunities. Paul Turner, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that we typically do when we we start the podcast and we, we have people come on and discuss their international careers is we always have to start with the question of sort of what is your origin story? How did you get started? And what sort of drew you to wanting to work on the, in the international community, so to speak? It's a good question. And I don't have an exciting answer like Spider-Man or anything like that. But um, I grew up in a, a fairly small town with parents who were really big on community service. And with that kind of being an underlying uh, value that was steeped into my my DNA to some extent uh, that that carried through. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with that, and got into university and was really struggling with what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And I did a special study abroad at a UNESCO founded university that was one of the early places teaching peace and conflict studies and. The professors were rotating in from a, a few of the places around the world that had those programs in existence at the time, but also were a lot of practitioners. And I just got more excited every day about the ability to find an opportunity to serve and the kind of intellectual stimulation of having all these fields that were coming together in one place. And uh, that that really lit the spark of, of doing something. But that something was a big question mark still. And to be honest, I, I would argue that it probably still is at this point in my career as well. I've, I've stayed as much as I could underneath that broader peace and conflict umbrella, but it's taken me down a number of pathways that have had me um, doing everything from working with... Um, in, in different internships and fellowships at the beginning as I was just trying to pick up relevant skill sets that I thought future employers might be interested in. So looking at language skills and grants management and things like that, 
working across a number of different technical disciplines in foreign assistance implementation, sometimes dealing with agricultural issues, sometimes governance, uh, sometimes natural resource management. From there, I, I went into the, the U.S. Department of State as uh, kind of our equivalent of the foreign ministry and served just under a decade as initially a contractor and then became a civil servant. And while I was there, I worked on opportunities to reform the way the U.S. government engages in reconstruction and stabilization efforts, basically as a, a recognition of our real shortcomings and how we addressed the challenges in Iraq and Afghanistan, but then worked in 10 different embassies around the world uh, doing kind of short-term support and providing them additional capabilities in everything from program management to conflict assessments to uh, strategic planning and, and more. Eventually, I, I wanted a, a little bit more space for freedom and, and innovation. And so I, I left and, and went back to the implementation side of things and worked with a couple of other organizations. And now I'm currently serving as a president for the Fund for Peace, which is a, a small NGO that, that's focused on kind of the ability to leverage data and, and uh, in integrate that into implementation activities. Um, so there's not been a, a key aha moment or epiphany that, that ever struck me, but there were, I think, little bits and pieces that I can point to along the way that just seemed to reinforce what was already there. And as you look at the number of doors that were, were opened, you know, the, the, just the ability to kind of walk through one and explore what might be there and, and proceed on that pathway until you hit another fork in the road. Um, but I, I feel like I've I've been both uh, lucky and frustrated in, in my career, depending on, on the moment. Um, and I'm sure that that will, will continue. And uh, I'm curious to see where it may take me in the future. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of people that we talk to really express a certain frustration with trying to start an international career. And it, it, you know, there's not one real path to being able to do that. So a couple of things from what you said, I'd like to explore a bit, which is like, you know, you, you said that you did a number of internships to be able to build out these skill sets. And so like, the first question I guess I would have is, you know, how impactful were these internships in terms of helping you establish a baseline or develop your first round of skills, I guess we might say. And then I'd like to sort of discuss what you mentioned in terms of this, you know, always changing sort of career path that that you sort of ventured into. So first focusing on these internships. Now, there's been a lot of discussion recently, um, both good and bad, I think, in terms of the internships themselves, right? So the standard sort of university advice you're always getting is, you know, it's kind of the three pieces of advice, which is get your resume together, get your bullet points, do an internship, and then do informational interviews, and I guess, work through your alumni network. And internships have come under some scrutiny recently, especially in places like the United Nations, where there's a lot of sort of unpaid internships. They're not the only ones, of course, but they have some of the more, if I could say, shocking ones, right? So one year unpaid internship in New York City, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, just prohibitively expensive, you know, mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that. But that doesn't mean that all internships are bad, right? And so this is where I guess a balance needs to be achieved. And so what are your sort of thoughts on somebody who would be starting out when you reflect upon your experience with internships and sort of seeing the conditions these days, uh, if you were in somebody's shoes today, what would you be thinking? I think that, that it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, there are some internships that if you know the friends or colleagues or acquaintances came up and asked me about, I, I would probably tell them to, to run for the hills. 
and and not give it a second thought. And there are others that I find to be so challenging and and exciting and and often you know even cutting edge in in whatever that niche may be that I'm personally really excited and would would like that opportunity too. I don't think that there's a, a good or a simple answer as to whether or not they're they're worth pursuing. Personally, I felt like um, my career later on really benefited from the early stages where I was struggling, kind of moving through both the academy as well as as kind of trying to get started because I had all these exposures and, and different perspectives um, that gave me different understandings um, before I really got started on a career path, even though I was hoping to start my career path much earlier. And so in the short term, it really didn't pay off at all. I think some of the things that I might advise other people is to really look at where you want to be. And I knew that eventually I at least wanted to be based out of the U.S., but those early choices, both in terms of my studies, which I did a lot of overseas because I thought it'd be helpful to get those perspectives, and then my internships, some of which I spent time overseas as well, didn't really support me building out a a broad network um, within the U.S. And so I came back and and looked at people who were coming out of schools or U.S.-based opportunity, you know, internships, etc., and uh, they were able to get contacts on the phone and maybe not have things fall into their lap, but at least had some more possibilities to, to consider and explore than I felt like I did. And so if I had to do that again, um, I might, might have uh, tried to keep some of the opportunities to get really diverse uh, perspectives and experiences, but at the same time, try and, and keep my toe a little bit more firmly planted on American soil just because of, of my desire to, to have those connections. Uh, it's not important if you've always wanted to work in fill-in-the-blank location, Ethiopia or what have you, go there and, and spend that time there, whether you're an, an internship, a volunteer, a fellow, or you're able to get hired into an entry-level job. I think that those are, are great opportunities. Um, I, I do think uh, it, it can be really worthwhile in, in the first five to seven years of your career to spend a couple of years um, because there tends to be a, a fairly rapid progression up, up the bottom rungs of the career ladder. And so you get more responsibilities fairly quickly, maybe not in every single organization that's out there, but but often that's the case. Um, and so look for those uh, opportunities to progress as you come in and you're interviewing places. Try and figure out do people usually take that next step within a year or two or, or three. And, and then maybe keep that as a, a goal for yourself to try and make it to that point. Um, I, I think that there's also in some organizations real limits. And so people tend to get stuck after that first, second, or third step, and then all of a sudden you see people trapped in a position almost for a decade sometimes as as the organization's looking for them to all of a sudden become a technical expert without really investing you know, the, the time or, or resources into building that expertise. And, and so that's an important thing to watch out for too. So find organizations where you can grow within, but also recognize when it's time to step out and find another one that's willing to take you that next step. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that there's, and we've had this sort of conversation with other guests, and it, there's a unique phenomenon. I think that's, I tend to believe that it's with sort of international careers, but I, you know, 
it could be with any career, I suppose. Let me just say it that way. But the way I view it with international careers is you sort of get locked into certain positions, sort of like what you're talking about. And, and that can be focused, say, geographically. Like, so if you're focused in one area in sub-Saharan Africa and you've done that for 10 years, then all of a sudden, like inadvertently or, or unwillingly or whatever, you're labeled as that person. And then so being able to sort of branch out from that makes it distinctly very difficult, right? And so it's hard to sell those skill sets because you're always going to be sort of that person that's doing that sort of work in that region of the world. And I find that's one box that you can be put in. And the other thing is sort of just if you're in a really specific functional area in a department, it's really niche or something like that, you'll be stuck there as well. And so I think international careers tend to be one of these places where you're not you know, diversity is up to you in terms of how diversification of your career and your own skill sets. And so let's talk a bit about sort of how you mentioned, you know, okay, the internships, moving through the internships, the first three to five years or so, getting into that sort of uh, junior professional level. And then you went through an experience of where you started having this diversification of areas that you were getting into. Uh, and, and one of the key themes that we talk about with the career guide is sort of like there is no path, right? Mm -hmm. You have to create your own career path because many organizations will tell you quite simply and as as you know a lot of organizations are donor driven right mm -hmm. so it's these three-year five-year type project cycles and and many big international organizations there are three-year contracts and then maybe three-year extensions and in uh, or big organizations uh there's also limitations you can't stay with them for more than 10 years you have to leave like there's no in inherent retirement slash you know 20-year career anymore you could say that largely for all the careers now these days. Uh, and I think on average, people change jobs seven times throughout 20 years. But I think specifically in international careers, we're faced with an environmental condition of where we must be just because the nature of funding and projects and things like that is that we are it's designed that you have to be mobile. It's designed in a way that you have to be able to create your own sort of opportunities. And it's designed in such a way that unfortunately, the UN doesn't really care about what's happening in the EU or in NATO or in other organizations, right? They don't really care about, okay, we're, that's fine. You're great. You're working there, but that doesn't mean anything for us, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so they're not connected. They're very sort of stovepipe and pillared and, and which makes it very challenging to manage these things. And so when you were getting through your career and you're, you're evolving, you're gaining that experience, when did you start to first realize that you had multiple paths ahead of you? It's a, a good question. I was I was also just re reflecting on one of the the statements that you had. So maybe if I can just share that, and I think it, it's an, another thing that I didn't recognize earlier in my career was the really significant role that that donors have. And and what I mean by that is, as you look around the world, people that are engaged in in as kind of uh, professionals in this space tend to sit within one or sometimes two spheres of influence. And what I mean by that is you'll find a, a lot of people who spend their entire career connected to the UN, supporting the UN, and whether that's in the UN and organizations that are collaborating with the UN, they may be doing advocacy, they may be doing implementation, what have you. But th those don't necessarily talk with the people that are working with the EU or the World Bank or USAID or, or, or anybody else out there. And uh, there are some people that, that do manage to straddle those different worlds, but it's, it's interesting whether you're looking at the policy space, the advocacy space, the, you know, the practitioner space, that it's not as, as fluid as I expected early on in my career. 
in, in terms of when it kind of dawned on me that there were all these uh, different options, I think that was probably during that time I spent in school where we just had a, a, a wonderful exposure to a rotating door of professionals that were coming in. And some were uh, talking about peace treaty negotiations and others were talking about election work and others were talking about landmines removal and, and all these different things. Occasionally, you might see a direct overlap between one or two, but for the most part, they were fairly distinct career paths. Um, and and so I wrestled a little bit with whether or not there was one uh, that I was that much more passionate about than the others, um, or if my real value add could be trying to at least be conversant in all these different realms and find ways to be able to build bridges between those different groups. And I don't know that I've excelled in doing one or the other, but I think I, I've, I've danced kind of on, on both sides of, of that issue. Um, and, and there's maybe a, a little bit of a lesson too for people that are early on in their careers that, that also reinforces something that you were saying, Kyle, which is I think that Generally, there's a slow progression as people get exposed to things and prove themselves of of being able to accept increasing levels of responsibility and 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 to create those opportunities for themselves as well as have them created for them too within organizations. But I th- I think that that progression sometimes is given a bit of a nitrous boost if someone really chooses to exploit a, a really limited niche because there are so few people around the entire world that, that are working on that one particular issue um, that someone can be kind of a, just as smart as the person next next to them, but because they've really chosen to commit themselves to that one fine area, that all of a sudden they kind of leapfrog over two, three, four um, steps or progressions that you might see somebody else taking. And so if your passion is really about working with I don't know, street children and, and teaching them, uh, you know, handicrafts in order to sell to tourists, um, you know, where, where you've got kind of multiple um, technical areas that are, are starting to overlap in, in this very small space. I, I think you're only going to find a few people in the world that do that. And as a result, your, your demand is going to be fairly high for every time somebody's looking to work in that space. And so, that that often is a little bit true as you see kind of new realms open up within the broader field. So if you look at what was social media a decade, maybe even 15 years ago, I think now cybersecurity is starting to move into this space and AI and, and machine learning will, will probably be playing some of these roles. Um, at, the, at the beginning, those first couple of years, that's a, a real chance to, to kind of shoot up the ladder quickly. I, I agree with that. I think that it's, it's a real challenge for people sometimes to be able to understand what that niche might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, I believe at a certain point, you build enough experience to where you, you're able to identify that niche. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's also the other factor of that, of being just entrepreneurial enough to be able to work on that, even though it may not be your day job, for example. Right. So understanding that that might be because if you're wanting to work with street children and things like that, like you're saying, to be able to do, you know, sell things to tourists, that's a a very niche thing that maybe nobody is funding and you still are working for another organization. And so you have to be entrepreneurial in your approach. If you want to own that space and be the expert in that space, then you're going to have to do that in addition to having a normal sort of, well, quote unquote job. Mm -hmm. Right. 
what I guess so my when I think sort of mechanically and sort of the the function as they're moving as people are moving through their career and they're starting. I mean, I did the same thing. I, I found a niche for myself, and so I work in the context of international crisis management and the use of emergency management to create stability in post conflict nations. And that's very niche, and nobody does it. And it's there's probably a good reason why nobody does it. But <laughs> you know, it's something I'm particularly interested in. But the the thing is is you know, I grew into that and I never realized it was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I still talk to people that don't realize it's a thing. But when when you do find it, you have to pursue it. But that doesn't mean that there's going to be automatically donors there. It doesn't mean there's projects there. It doesn't mean that they even exist. And if it's something you want to pursue, I think you have to be just entrepreneurial enough to take ownership of it and to pursue it and to create that space as well. Mm-hmm. And, and in the same time, you still have to be working. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I tend to think that international careers, and I, I'd like to hear your perspective on this, is a lot about us taking ownership, right? And so we have to be able to build our own portfolio. It's our own personal identity as far as who we are as professionals and working amongst these organizations, you know, as these sort of cross-sectorial skill sets and being able to do multiple things and work on multiple projects. What do you what do you think about that sort of idea? I don't think I've been in an organization that um, didn't really value the entrepreneurial spirit or, or the ability to be a self-starter. I think it's really crucial, uh, both in terms of stepping into a small one or a large one and, and finding your place and your ability to, to really contribute and, and grow. But uh, I, th- I think also, you know, if, if you do have particular aspirations, whether they are you know, working in a particular region or country or on a particular technical skill set, you've got to come up with a strategy that that helps you figure out where you are now and how you can start to take those steps to get you there. And I think some people are, are, are great at that and, and have, you know, very precise and specific plans laid out, um, for, you know, their next three, five, 10 years. And, and I think that that's really helpful. I, I would, would tell any of my friends that do that to continue to do so, but also to be open to opportunities that, that may surprise them because of somebody that they've impressed along the way or a contact that they've made that has a real need that, that they might be able to help address. Um, because sometimes taking a, a bit of a step off, off your path allows you to, to progress in ways maybe that you didn't anticipate. So as you were going through this period of you know, diversification of your skill sets, what was going through your mind when you were looking for different opportunities? Were you sort of staying in one position while you were looking or did opportunities just come to you because you had been working for a while and sort of people knew who you were? How did you sort of advance through your career? I spent a, a lot of time kind of at the, the very beginning and probably uh, maybe the about eight to 10 years in uh, just looking at, at job boards almost every day. Um, and it, it sounds like maybe I, I was miserable or stuck in an alternate reality, but it wasn't necessarily the case. I, I think at the beginning, I was just a bit in awe at the the huge range of uh, opportunities that exist. Um, and then once I was several years in, I, I was able to kind of look at what I saw my strengths and weaknesses to be and and that allowed me to kind of look at that broad range and see what I wanted to take, take off the table and, and what I wanted to keep on as, as areas that I might uh, potentially explore in the, in the future. Um, in, in terms of how I moved around, I, I do think that there's something to be said for 
um, you know, just how you serve and the relationships that you build and where you've been able to to leverage your strengths and, and hopefully mitigate your weaknesses as much as possible um, in, in ways that uh, achieve the impacts that, that, you know, bring a real sense of satisfaction to you as an, an individual that's hopefully trying to find their own ways to make the world a little bit of a better place. But also that, that maybe resonates with at least some like-minded professionals that are out there, if, if not others, and that that those um, those opportunities, I think, tend to stay in, in people's minds, and you you might cross paths with somebody five, ten years later, um, and find all of a sudden there's there's an opportunity for co- collaboration, whether it's kind of officially on a project where it's part of your you know quote unquote day job, or or whether it's something that that you can provide support to them just by serving as a sounding board, or or vice versa, and and kind of help each other along the way. I think that that's that's really helpful um, to to be able to recognize that and to not shy away from that. Um, the other part is that as I've been in different stages in my career, there were different things that I I wanted to accomplish or boxes that I wanted to check for lack of a more fancy way to put that. And and so there there were you know not just at the beginning but all the way through skills that I'm trying to either um, build or refine and hone and and to be able to take those kind of to the next level. Um, and I've, I've found that there's, you know, there's so many opportunities out there that if you're not pretty happy where you are, uh, it, it's worth asking yourself some hard questions about, you know, have I, have I let myself become stagnant or, or am I not really bringing enough to the table? And if so, how can I address that? Whatever the case may be. Um, so you can kind of challenge yourself to find a place where you feel like you're a better contributor and where you feel like you're being n- nurtured and, and growing at the same time. And I think the challenge that we all face is if we reflect on sort of these project cycles again, you know, this sort of three year or even if you're lucky, a five year sort of cycle on a mission or a project or whatever the case is, uh, to your point about always looking at positions, I think it's something that becomes inherently you know, it's, it's, it's built into the sort of lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? Because if you just get into an organization, I mean, when, and you start saying, well, how long do I need to, to sort of get comfortable? That's probably going to be around like six months before you sort of figure out what you're doing and like really feel comfortable. Right. And then if you're on a, let's say a three-year project and then you need six months to sort of transition out, well, that's already a year of time. And then, you know, if you need at least six months to be able to find a position, you know, so it's, it's always this ongoing cycle of time management and then really sort of, as you mentioned, sort of planning and looking ahead to see where you're going to go and, and keeping an eye on that job market and always paying attention, I think, is, is sort of critically important so that when you do find something, because positions don't always open up when you need them, right? right? So you have to always be able to sort of see a position come up as an opportunity and then to be able to transition effectively as well. And I, I think that that's something that we, we constantly do throughout our entire career. And to look at these things, and so when we're we're talking about building out these skill sets, if somebody was starting in their career and they're a young professional and they're and they're looking across the board and they're say they're involved in some project coordination or something like that, and they find, well, let's let's use your experience. At what point did you recognize you needed to build additional skill sets? Like, what was it that brought it to your attention? And then how did you what did you do to sort of address mm-hmm. those things? What steps could people take here? I think 
the the biggest shock that I had as I was starting my career maybe wasn't so much in some of the more standard obvious things that that I was expecting you know like to be able to have the right uh, levels of fluency with software programs or being able to communicate in a different language or understand the program management cycle. I, I think what really hit me just because it wasn't something that I had spent much time doing was r- really looking at, at the areas of, of administration and management and what happens when all of a sudden you're, you're given a, a budget document and how do you figure out is that credible? Is everything up to snuff? And uh, if if not, what do you do with it? And I was completely out of my element when I was thrown some of those early spreadsheets or QuickBooks files and and, and trying to look at some of the projects that I was working on. And, and it took time and a lot of patience from colleagues and supervisors to to really be able to build those um, skill sets out for me. They're not skills that I necessarily use on a daily basis now, but I do find that the ability to understand them and and to be able to kind of lean on on that side of, or maybe that part of of my past experiences is regularly uh, valuable. Even when I was purely in the policy space, uh, the fact that there were so many people in that space that didn't understand those things and I could help interpret a little bit and, and provide a little bit of a reality check was also really valuable from time to time. So that maybe was the, the biggest shock. You know, I, I had a, a bank account growing up as a kid, but, uh, you know, it was pretty simple transactions, you know, like you get whatever money you get from small jobs or holidays or whatnot and and put that in and then take it out. And, and that was about it, as opposed to the, the complexity of of the these budgets, you know, when you're trying to deal with projects that are, you know, sometimes $20, 50000000 million and all the different types or, or colors of money or the way that money can and can't be spent within those projects and understanding all those uh, regulations and limitations just uh, takes a, a lot of time and patience. Yeah, definitely. And, and so when you wanted to, or if you had an interest in sort of building out that skill set or understanding more about that the funding process, funding mechanisms, donor funds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So what did you do from that point? Did you just talk to somebody in your organization, supervisor, whatever the case is, and ask for more experience in that? Or, you know, so how, uh, so my question is really sort of focused on that transitional period, right? And so if you need to build that skill set, because maybe it's part of a career or a position you want in the future, how can we sort of build out skill set? Is it, did you just approach and ask to be involved and try to do that within the organization? Let me speak to two different examples because I think they're really different experiences that I had, and I think they hopefully at least one might be helpful to someone. Um, so, in in earlier jobs in my career, there was almost an expectation one that I would be able to kind of uh, look at the books and provide oversight, and then another one, which is very different, was that I'd be able to support the proposal development process and uh, be able to support new business initiatives. Uh, they kind of different groups call them different things. But uh, for the proposal development process, there was actually a, a fairly rigorous training process that was set up in the organization that I was working with at the time. So you could go to a class, you would kind of almost have a mentor with the section of the proposal that you were working on. You'd start with a really easy stuff and then gradually be given more and more complex uh, elements of the proposal till basically over the course of several different proposals, you'd worked each of the the different sections. Um, and at the end of it, you kind of take on 
the the whole thing yourself if you needed to because you'd had had experience kind of just rolling up your sleeves and diving in with the the oversight from from somebody that had kind of been there and done that um with the um kind of basic accounting uh, aspects they there wasn't that that institutionalized process um with the organization that i was in as to how somebody um, you know, opens up a file and then is able to kind of review that and can, can close it and go about their, their day. Um, and so what I ended up having to do uh, was to, to just sit down and, and stare at them for a while to, to try and at least figure out what I was looking at and then spend time uh, with supervisors initially to, to ask the questions of, you know, wh- what's expected of me in, in this role? What, what am I trying to accomplish here as I'm looking at all these numbers um, and, and get those broader parameters um, and then be able to take some of that initial guidance and go to peers and say, can, can you help me walk through this? Uh, people who had been at the organization, you know, six months or a year or two longer than I had were able to, to be able to sit down and kind of guide me through that. And that was needed, uh, you know, on a regular basis, the first several times I did it. And then probably for the next couple of years, uh, when I was in similar roles, I would still need to be able occasionally to say, this is something weird I've never seen before. Can you help me understand what this is, if this is okay, and what I need to do? And I, I think the the willingness for others to be able to jump in and help out was was really crucial. And, and there was a real camaraderie at, at, at that organization and other organizations I've been in uh, with, with people, you know, that were starting out the their first parts of their careers and, and um, really trying to wrap their head around all they were confronting. And I don't think people should be discouraged by having to ask those questions, right? Because... Mm-hmm. It's a it's a continuous process. I mean, I, I sat in a, a meeting maybe a month ago or so, and you know they're talking about some versions of EU project management, which is entirely new to me. You know, mm-hmm. and and I was like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I mean, it was really it was really something that is is you know in terms of different terminology and sort of different processes and procedures. I mean, fundamentals are all the same, mm-hmm. but it it there's always going to be times when you have to ask for people to clarify things. Um, but once you have a foundation of experience and you can rapidly escalate your knowledge and skill set because the fact that you understand the fundamentals of what people are talking about. But it can also, you know, it can always be very different in terms of approach and, and also switching different organizations. They have their own approaches as well in yeah. terms of the way that they're structured, the way they're managed, the way that they sort of deliver, you know, their work and, and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. And so... How was that for you in terms of changing organizations? Because you've been through a, di- a few different organizations in your career so mm-hmm. far. Um, has there been a, much of a culture shock between them? It's not been shocking as I've moved kind of within the same realm. And what I mean by that is, is if I've gone from one foreign assistance implementer to the next, yeah, they're fairly different. And there's some things that are a little bit surprising, but you're you're not left with your jaw hitting the floor. But it, it has been shocking, for example, if you move from a small kind of local grassroots organization into, you know, one, one of these major international organizations or, uh, you know, when, when I spent time with the government, just because things are, are so significantly different from one to the next. Not necessarily in a debilitating way, but in a way where you just recognize that you are no longer in the comfort zone that you'd created wherever you were previously. And I think that that the examples that that you're given or that that I've shared, you know, we, we talk a, a little bit about things related to program management, but they're they're true 
for everything. So if, if all of a sudden you're charged with coming up with a strategic communications um, approach for an organization, or you need to learn about the conflict mitigation in the Rift Valley or, or whatever the case may be, um, you know, when, when it's, it's new, you're, you're kind of diving in head first, regardless of what it is. And I think the ability to, to turn to, um, colleagues, whether they're in your organization or, or if they're not any, like be able to reach outside to, um, maybe those that you were in school with or, or others that you've met along the way and, and just see if you can get some helpful pointers and guidance, uh, that, that can at least give you those first couple of steps. That makes me think of a question, actually, which is when did you in your career so far feel like you were sort of comfortable in your space, right? So regardless of where you were, you sort of felt like, okay, I'm I'm in my niche, I'm in my zone, so to speak, and, and regardless of organization, you know, I, I feel comfortable where I am. What, what, what point did you reach that? I, I think I, I felt probably comfortable in terms of feeling confident that I would always have something to offer, um, regardless of the situation, probably about 10 years in. And I would give you a totally opposite answer, which is I, I don't know that I've ever felt completely comfortable because I tend to focus on um, the the broader realm of, of you know, how do you deal with the challenges of conflict and as a planet or species or however I'm saying that we've obviously not cracked that code. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of places that I've worked and invested uh, as much of myself as I could in and have seen those best efforts go to waste. Um, and it's really heartbreaking. And so I don't know that I would say that I'm, I'm comfortable in, in really having mastered this and, and figured out all the answers to the questions that I have. I, I, I'm just at the point now where I feel like I've had enough experience and learned enough lessons that hopefully um, I, I, the things that I'm working on can be things that help people in places go two steps forward and, and one step back. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really quite giving you a, a fair answer, but it's a, a tough question to figure out how to respond to. Well, sure. Absolutely. I mean, that, there's also a difference, I think, in terms of you being maybe confident is a better word, but confident in your own abilities. Uh, but you raise a good point, which is, you know, are you able to actually solve these problems? And sometimes the problems are too complex for any, of course, for any one person or one organization mm -hmm. to be able to do anything. And which would lead me to another question, um, which is, you know, you mentioned that you sort of given a lot, you know, you invested a lot emotionally, physically, monetarily with donor funding and all these things, trying to make a region better, make a community better, whatever the case is. Uh, and it may succeed or it may not succeed. Um, so what was sort of, what were your feelings when you're having to leave, you know, because all projects come to an end and, and that sort of retrograde or that sort of, uh, you know, closure of the projects are often very difficult. Has that been challenging for you? Because you've had sort of a, as we all do, we get it sort of emotionally invested in what in the work that we're doing in the communities we're in. Has it been a um, has it been difficult for you at times? I, I think I've had challenges stepping away from things that I was working on uh, on a number of different fronts. So one is, you know, if, if you're working overseas, the the relationships that you build 
particularly in, in fragile or conflict-affected places where I've tended to work, I'm always just uh, worried, you know, like people that have become, you know, my friends or, or close colleagues, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that things can continue to, to um, stay as they are and improve. And there's not always that degree of certainty. I, I think there's a, a lot of times that... Uh, as I'm, I'm starting to, to wrap up or, or walk away from something when, when that time comes that I, I always feel like I've, I've got, you know, eight other things that I, I want to try and make happen before I'm done. And they may not be right in the middle of what my uh, priorities or my tasks are, but I just feel like, oh, if I can just connect these two organizations or if we can get these conversations started or, or whatever it might be, that surely like it's, it's going to help it everybody along and, and advance these things. And I, I've never been able to get to a point where I've had all of those things uh, in motion with enough momentum that I was leaving and felt like I could exhale and that everything I'd ever dreamed of had been done. And so there's always a little bit of, of maybe not a, a disappointment, but a, a wish that, that there was some way that, that you could take these ideas and energy that you had and, and find a way to continue it. Maybe if we ever get to the point of, of immediate cloning, that might be possible in the future or something. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it also, I, I think, is is really helpful. When I was part of, of the U.S. government, there were a couple of things that I, I worked on um, and, you know, I would essentially rotate out of. And while it, it, it may have been even frustrating to, to step away from some of those things. You can go and then talk with your replacement a few years or months later even and see that they've had their own bright ideas and, and have been able to take some of your initiatives forward and, and into places you may not have even even dreamed of and then complement that work with, with some new energy that, that they could contribute to. And so I, I think that those things have... Um, have have maybe reinforced this idea that that uh, you know we're all in this together and and that hopefully we can kind of t together and, and united uh, find ways to advance and progress. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap this up, and and so we're getting sort of close to our time anyway. So, Paul, I guess the the last question I'll ask is one that I I like to ask people quite a bit, which is you know if you were doing something, if you're going to do this over again, right? Learning everything that that you've learned now. What would you do differently? Uh, there's some things that I wouldn't change at all. Uh, I spent some time early on uh, living in a village in, in sub-Saharan Africa, and I could have read about that for decades, and it never really made sense to me in terms of what I was able to kind of process just by spending time there. Um, I, I think the... the I've, I've worked um, in uh, about 45 different countries, and there's a lot of people that I look at and I recognize the, the incredible depth of insight and nuance of, of um, knowledge that they've gained by working on one place. But for me, I feel like the ability to have that comparative understanding is often a real value and that, that I can kind of sit down at a table with people and say, this isn't something that should be transferred directly, but there's something here that we could learn from this environment that may be worth trying to, to modify a bit. Um, and, and so there's some pieces that I've, I'm really incredibly grateful for. If I could go, go back and do some things over um, on the personal side of things, I probably 
would have changed the way that I, I tried to, to deal with some relationships um, a, as well as, as stay connected with my family. Um, and then on the professional side, I, I think that probably I would have looked to push a little bit more intentionally for increased responsibility as opposed to just increased technical opportunities or, or levels of expertise. And it's something that I'm, I'm still juggling with today of how do I continue to grow as a, as a quote unquote expert, but also be able to bring forward leadership skills and in, into the, the space where we're working. Um, and I think I probably should have challenged myself a little bit more on the, the leadership side of things earlier on. But I, I feel lucky to, to, to be where I am. I'm sure that the chapters that are remaining to be written have a lot of um, uh, both joy and, and heartache in them. And, and we'll see what lessons there are to be learned in the future. Okay, great. That's a really good answer. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you so much. And if somebody wanted to find you and, and reach out to you, where could they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. You're happy to track me down there uh, if you want to as well. Um, I mentioned the organization I work with, the Fund for Peace. Um, uh, you, you can hit me up there at uh, pturner at fundforpeace.org. Um, and I will do my best to get back to you and, and uh, see how uh, we can engage in conversation and if there's anything I can do to help. All right. Thanks, Paul. All right, everybody, go check out Fund for Peace. And if you need to get in touch with Paul and check out the good work they're doing over there. Paul, thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. It was a real pleasure.